if you're doing what God would have you do, you're probably putting out there probably nine or 10 times as much stuff as you're getting back. But when you need to get something back, it's always there. It's my pleasure to introduce you to Coach Doug Hampton. I met Coach when I was in the seventh grade when he started the basketball program at Dayspring Christian Academy, where he's still at today as the headmaster and principal. Enjoy this conversation as we talk about how he provides for others. Welcome to the Become a Provider podcast, a show about how people bless and protect others and how you can do the same. I'm your host, Justin Thomas. Let's begin. It's been 25 years since you came into my life. So just about, it'll be 25 years on December 7th. Wow. Well, so, okay. So you know the exact date. So, so, so that's when you, you came into my, my middle school, Dayspring Christian Academy, well, the whole school K through 12. And, and so obviously you were a provider figure because you were a, a coach, a basketball coach, starting the program from scratch and nothing. It'll be really fun to dive into that, those, that era as well. And then the really cool part was that you stuck around. So you didn't leave. And that was when I was in seventh grade and you, you stuck through my whole middle school, high school years and you're still there today. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Now, do you know how I remember what day it was? No, tell me. Because December 7th is Pearl Harbor Day. Oh. And I went home that night and I called Aaron and I said, Aaron, I know there have been teams that have never won a game during a season. Has there ever been a team that hasn't, been, has, hasn't scored? <laughs> <laughs> and Aaron's like, it can't be that bad. And I'm like, dude, it's Pearl Harbor Day. And that's very fitting because we're going to get bombed. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So, and that was in 96, is that right? 96, December 7th, 1996. Wow. Well, isn't it cool? And now we're talking. Like, now we're talking almost 25 years later. And it gives me a chance to reflect on, wow, okay. I'm in this mindset of really just pouring into uh, this idea of being a provider and to not focus myself as much in, in a way that it's all about me, but to say, hey, who do I want to model? What are the positive models there? And man, you played a big role. I mean, you know, as a middle schooler, I wasn't playing any active sports because at that time it was just soccer and I didn't want to play soccer. And so I mean, my whole school, my whole, you know, middle school, high school would have been totally different if the program didn't exist and, and you didn't come on board with it. And, it, and, you, and one of the things that you did that was, uh, that helped me was introduce discipline with practice. I mean, you referred to the fact that we had no skill, so we had to practice to <laughs> score. Uh, who cares about winning games, but just to score. And the discipline of just showing up. Uh, and I think that's something that I'm still trying to do now is to to do this myself and with the fellowship, the small group to tell guys to be fully present, to show up, to be disciplined with it. So anyway, it's really fun for me to reflect with you now of those are things back then that whether intentional or not, I can say, wow, 25 years later, those are real practical takeaways of um, really investing into the process and the people and doing something when it wasn't easy to do. Like we weren't any good and it wasn't easy and it was hard. And so those are things that come to the top of my mind. And, you know, in addition to 
off the court stuff um, that we can talk about with how you opened up your home and wallet and took us out to eat and did a lot of that stuff as well. Uh, I know the nothing, steakhouse, this is, baby. The steakhouse, that's right. So I mean, you know, none of this may be new to you, but I just wanted to let you know that on tape, like those are, I don't know, those are big life lessons. And I don't think a lot of people can reflect back on like what they learned in seventh grade or to say like, this was a pivotal moment and I'm really thankful for you. So thank you for showing up in my life. Well, I think the, the, the beautiful mix of it is um, that I feel more blessed by you and, 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 and your contemporaries, your peers, than I, than I see any way you could feel about me and your life. Uh, I, love the, I love the way this stuff works. And then, I don't know, did you see what I wrote? Because you, you, part of your website is you asked, what is your motivation? What's your provider motivation? Oh, no, it's so fresh. I haven't even, like, figured out how to set the alert for that yet. So tell us. <laughs> Those dogs. Um, uh, well, I mean, for, I mean, for me, God's grace, his provision of grace has always been the motivator. Girls, please. Oh, my goodness. Um, has always been, you know, the great motivator. And you know I'm all about relationships, including with my puppies that are going crazy here. Um, and um, the really cool thing is since you wrote the book and got me to think in terms of the word provider as opposed to just discipler, which was more, I don't know, it's, it's, it's just a little bit more present of a word. It's a little bit more um, real word, you know? Um, and, uh, and I've realized that... Um, in every relationship, you know, there are things that we're supposed to be providing, you know, the, the, the nature of relationship. And um, one of the most amazing things is, you know, not everybody's in, in our corner, not everybody's in your corner, but we almost never label someone that's not in our corner or someone that's against us as an enemy. We just look at it as a, someone that's a little more difficult to deal with or frustration. But the Bible's pretty straightforward about the fact that we will have enemies and how you deal with them. And sometimes they're Christian brothers and sisters, and um, we're supposed to provide for them. We're supposed to provide prayers for them. We're supposed to provide love for them. And it's amazing how we'll let ourselves off the hook and not provide for people who frustrate us. We'll avoid them. Um, Bob Goff talks about this a lot. Um, you know, you need to actually go into the room with the people that, you know, that bug you the most. In my opinion, that probably the best definition of that is your enemy. I mean, the witch doctor in his second book is definitely his enemy. Uh, that's a great, yeah, that's a great moment where it just comes to that truth, like you said, of loving your enemy is, and it's funny how words are, like you said, you know, um, I think you used the word discipler, is that right? Like thinking mm -hmm. in terms of discipler before provider and just the same thing with enemy or just someone just in the background to have more meaning and it hits you and it impacts you know, how we act with it. So, so, so you want to be a provider so that you're able to extend God's grace to, to everyone, especially the enemies in your life. Yeah. I, I mean, it starts obviously starts with family and I have family. I never thought I'd have, I was just always thought I'd be this single guy, you know, this, this tent maker, this, you know, you know, Doug and Jesus drifting through life and God had different plans for that. And there was a Joanna involved in it. And then there, now there's a son, there's a Jason involved in it. 
Um, never thought, you know, I never even thought I'd, you know, bother to own a home, you know, so I'm, I'm like, you know, the fact that I have, I'm sitting in my home with my wife, my son and my three dogs, um, you know, blows me away. I was just, you know, contemplating on that this morning, you know, in tears, you know, about God's goodness. And it's the provision of that grace and the manifestation of it that has shown up in family and has shown up in friends. And then the realization over the last couple of years, since your book was written, since um, I've really analyzed my relationship with my father and gone through, you know, his death, God, you know, we're supposed to provide grace for our enemies too. And not supposed to be afraid of that word. Not supposed to be afraid of that word. You know, someone can be your enemy and not be a bad guy, but they might not understand that the way they're behaving or the way they interact with you is damaging to you or damaging to your family or endangers, you know, certain aspects of your life. And generally that's more emotional and spiritual, but you know, you know, from what you do, some relationships are toxic. And I think if it's a toxic relationship, I think enemy is the right word to attach to it. Now, if it's your wife and that relationship is toxic, well, you probably misstepped somewhere along the marriage round or something. But you know what I mean. But yeah. I don't think every toxic relationship necessarily is an enemy. But I think we have all those things. And we're called to provide, first and foremost, grace and love, you know, for those folks. And I just think it's, you know, it's what I love because I look back and think about, you know, your, your peers and you, you're, you know, one of the first groups that um, I was intentionally trying to disciple. And I still look at it as I was discipled more than I discipled. Hmm. What makes you say that? Because I got multiple relationships out of it. And you got stuck with one. You got me, but I got you and I got Matt and I got Chris and I got Chad and I got Jake and I got Caleb. And then through the years, you know, that's, it's just increased and increased and increased. And you were the gateway to my relationship with John. I've gotten all these relationships out of it and I've received from every single one. Every single one of those relationships has provided something for me in my journey. I got to know your dad through coaching you. Mm. Yeah. And what's, uh, you, you told me uh, after Pop passed away, one of your, one of your Pop stories, you mind sharing that? Well, uh, about you and the license plate, or <laughs> well, he could he could do that if you want to. I was thinking of the chair. <laughs> oh well, yeah. I mean, I was sitting in the chair yesterday. Um, I I I love the fact that you know by the time all the Thomases had graduated from Dayspring, your dad thought I deserved a recliner. Yeah, oh, that was great. <laughs> and 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 he he gave me a recliner. And it still sits in my basement, and I still sit in it. It's just it's just who your dad was. I didn't know that. I, I, I honestly did not know that uh, he gave you a uh, recliner until <laughs> until you told me that story. Like I didn't, I, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. He was he he was down. He was like, you know, you need to come down to the store and you need to pick one out. You know, we'll have it delivered. But um, oh man, yeah. I I mean, anytime you enter into discipleship or grace provision. Again, that's why I, I, I love the, the, the whole concept, become a provider. Um, helped me appreciate my dad more. Born in 1929, child of the Depression. He could not speak his love, but he was determined to be, he was from a broken home. He was determined that I wouldn't grow up in a broken home, that my sister and I would never know what that was like. 
and we experienced a whole different realm of dysfunction. But we didn't. But we didn't experience that. There was never a doubt that you know our parents were going to be our parents, you know, and that they would live in one house together. That was just that was a very real thing. He provided that for me, um, for our family, provided for our family physically, and that was his love language. I mean, I would, I would have loved if, if um, words of affirmation had worked themselves in there a little bit more. I would have loved it if um, some other things had worked themselves in there. But that was his, you know, even 20-some years after we got together when you were in the seventh grade and 15-plus years after you graduated, you were still providing for me, helping me out in my relationship with my dad as he was dying. It was a big, big stuff. I mean, I would, I would, I would go before God and, and, and thank him for, for my relationship with Justin Thomas and for what you'd spoken and written into my life, even though you didn't know that you were speaking and writing those things into my life. You were just speaking truth as God had laid it on your heart to, to share. And it was facilitating me. So I will... I will always believe that I'm one of the most relationally blessed people that's ever walked the face of the earth. And as such, have been more fortunate being discipled than I have discipled. Yeah, it's so weird for you to say that to me, too, because it's like, you know, I, I, I would, when I wrote the book, I had no idea of, you know, you were about to lose your father, right? And it was just really almost like a feeling of, wow, there's some crazy stories here. I just need to share and to process. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm glad I had that, right? Because I'm, I may not have taken that leap of trying to share those stories. And I was just thinking too, as you're talking, how cool it is that we've been to one another's weddings and uh, been to our father's funerals. And you know, that's really special. And you know, for me, it was really special for you to have read the book so that you could see um, I mean, you know me and you could just, you'd be able to call me out like, oh, that's not Justin. He was, he was fronting there. He was pretending with it, but you were in those moments. Uh, and for me, what was a big moment was, you know, when I gave pops uh, toast, I mean, that just took everything out of me and uh, you know, you were there. So what was that? What was that like for you? Because I was kind of an out of body experience for me. Like I was at that point, just going through the motions. And so that was the first time that I articulated when I think of my father's legacy and if I had to boil it down. You use the word provider. That's it. It's being a provider. And that's where it started. So what was that moment like for you there? And, and it's okay I, if it, if you don't remember it, but it, you know, for me, it was no, I remember it. I remember it very, very well. First off, I thought, um, thought you did great. Um, were you wearing a vest? I probably was wearing pop's vest. Yeah. That's I, what think I, that's, I was thinking. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I was wearing his old leather vest. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I just remember thinking, you know, that, you know, you nailed it. And it resonated with me about my own dad, even at that moment. I mean, you've always had, you know, a way of, you know, being able to coalesce things together and communicate. And I felt like you did that, you know, that day, you know, really well. Um, in fact, you know, your toast gave me, I didn't really want to speak at dad's funeral. I guess part of me did, part of me didn't. Um, but what I spoke at his funeral, I wrote the night he died. I didn't write it as a eulogy. I wrote it to, um, 
to sort of help with closure for my sister and myself and help with the healing of the moment. And my sister really wanted me to say, you know, hey, can, can you say this at the funeral? In a lot of ways, I was just like, well, you know, Justin was able to do it. You know, you can't I, I, say anything. <laughs> I was like, you know, Justin was able to do it. I can, you know, I can probably hold it together for this. And of course, my dad is so much older than yours when he passed. But, you know, we, we needed almost every single one of those years to get to the point where we were in a healthy spot. Um, and fortunately for you, you and your dad didn't have that kind of journey. Um, but, yeah, I remember, you, I remember you that day upstairs above Sharky's. Um, a beautiful group of people were there. The other thing I remember about that day was I know your mom was shattered. But she was as beautiful that day as I can ever remember her being. Yeah, and the concept that broken can be beautiful was um, was something that possessed me that day too. You use the word provider, and broken can be beautiful. Both the things spoke to me big. Yeah, thanks for sharing because we were just in the moment. I think my mom would say the same thing of not really knowing who she was, you know, like who she was speaking to, or how you know, just like who showed up afterwards. It was like you know who was there. And it's such a bizarre experience. And I think when we think of the word provider, I mean, naturally we think of dads and fathers and especially those that are in that financial space. Um, and it makes such a big impact into our lives and how we lead others. There's a lot to unpack. I appreciate you um, sharing because like I said, it's, it's hard to remember everything and it's hard to uh, think back to that time. And I, I, you know, but for me, it was like, that was, that was a moment of just trying to think of not to be cute or funny or, you know, to get cheap laughs in a serious moment, but just to honor it and to say like, gosh, you know, how, how, what could define a person and do that in a way that's authentic and real, um, <laughs> you know, and like you mentioned, we were in a, a bar setting, right? <laughs> so it was just like a restaurant bar in, in his hometown and it just, it just felt like the right thing to do. And I put on his vest and that was, but, but even the case. That, that space didn't really feel that much like a bar. I mean, it was upstairs. It felt like, you know, it felt like a, a gutted loft apartment almost. Um, and it, it, it didn't have a, I mean, it was above, you know, a restaurant and, you know, kind of a bar setting, but it was, but it was much more than that. I mean, it was, a, it was a really cool, unique choice. I think it's the only time Sharky's have been used for something like that. Yeah. But, um, Probably so. Yeah. But, but I, I think that's, uh, you know, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but I think that's another reason I wanted to interview you for this to say, you know, that, like, you just showing up, that was providing for me, right? And that, just another example of how you showed up when I was in seventh grade to take on this huge project of building a basketball program, uh, you know, how you showed up. Um, at the funeral and all the times in between that. Um, and I think that just demonstrates that ability to be present when someone needs you to be. And you've done a great job of that and being intentional, even during this COVID-19 time of doing Zoom calls and also reaching out to say, what has God been teaching you during this time? So yeah, thank you for that. Well, I've never forgotten the lesson. It was shortly after you guys had graduated, I was talking to Matt Schumann because Matt asked me, when did you know we could be good? Because, you know, we spent all this time talking about how lousy we were in the beginning. We got really good. That's right. We got really good. Probably because you guys had to endure six years of playing varsity. You took your lumps and you got good. But um, he asked me, when did you know, you know, that we'd be really good? And, or we could be good. 
And I said, well, you might sound crazy, but it was a game we lost 66 to 17. I said, because um, we stole the ball from a legitimate varsity team 24 times in that game. Now, most of them, right after we stole it, we either threw the ball back to them or traveled or double dribbled or did something stupid. We had 38 turnovers in the game, too. But we stole the ball 24 times, and I knew if you guys could play that hard, you know, if you guys would play that hard, that we would be good. And I turned the question back on him. And this would have been probably maybe 2003, 2004. Um, mm -hmm. I turned the question back on Matt, and I said, when did you know you could be good? And he said, when you showed up for the second year. And that spoke to my spirit in a huge way. And it was like, you know, sometimes God, all God needs you to do is show up. I mean, none of us are so gifted that, uh, you know, it's, it's not because we bring our gifting into the room, but we bring the creator of the universe into the room. You know, we, we bring the redeemer of the world into the room when we walk into the room. And that is power. And that's what I, that's what I heard Matt say. I'm not even sure if that's what Matt thought, but that's what I heard him say. Yeah. Yeah, for you to show up. And if we just do that, right? Like, even if we mess up, even if we say the wrong things, just showing up is, is huge. And, you know, we, I've tried to think about all the traits and skills and habits and everything else. And sometimes that can be motivating and sometimes that can be overwhelming. And you just think, oh, I'll go on to the next thing. But really, I mean, like, the, a lot of it comes down to showing up, like you said. And I guess showing up with the right heart. Like, because you're saying you're bringing the creator of the universe with you. So you're not only showing up, you're, you're showing up with a loving heart or what does that, what does that mean to you when you show up with the creator of the universe? Well, when I talk to the, um, uh, when I talk to kids all the time about today is the fact that um, there's nothing accidental about who we are. You know, we're, we're created, forgiven, redeemed, indwelled and empowered. So we walk into a room, those are, that's a lot of big words. You know, um, Justin, Justin Thomas is a created, forgiven, redeemed, indwelled, and empowered individual. How can he not impact the room? The, one of the differences between you and many others is that, you know, you want to impact that room. You want to be a vessel through which God, you know, infects whatever environment you're in especially your family. I mean, you want, you want God to infect your marriage and your relationship with your kids to the nth degree. If anybody has seen you in the midst of your family, they know that. You can't miss that. It's a cool thing to watch. It's a cool thing to see. Well, and sometimes we, like, I don't, I wouldn't even have used those words, but they're really inspiring. And so uh, and I think maybe a lot of times we just don't realize how, how much power we have to change a room when we walk into it for the better. And I think, is that the message that you try to get to your middle school, high school students? Yeah. And, and I think, again, I, I, I think it's easy to turn that into saying, okay, well, I'm going to enter the room. I give it my best shot to change things. That's not the way it works. You enter the room and who you are, who God has changed you to be, what God has done to you and through you and in you, it's God that changes the room. 
we just get to participate because we're created, forgiven, redeemed, and dwelled and empowered. Yeah, it takes the pressure off a little bit, doesn't it? It does in some ways, but it also complicates it because, you know, we're such a, you know, we want to try harder and we want to make a difference, but generally we get it a little bit backwards, you know, like, uh, like prayer. I would say the majority of people pray to change things, but I think prayer changes us. When I pray for what you're, what's going on with you, or when I pray for you after your, the passing of your father, um, I mean, yeah, it's, a, it's, it, it's an outreach, and I don't know what it does in the, in the heavenlies, in the spiritual realm, but I do know that it helps transform me into closer and more of what Jesus would want me to be. I mean, we're supposed to mourn for and with others. Um, and I think that's a great lesson for us in this moment we find ourselves in history today. Um, if your heart doesn't break for others with some of the stuff that's going on, to get back to the drawing board in some ways, it changes me to provide prayers for you. And it comes right back to the enemies thing. You know, we're supposed to pray for our enemies. Why? Because that changes us. Now, you heard me in a Zoom we did with some other men. We've done a couple during the pandemic. I talked about, you know, a coach or an athletic director from another school that was leaving the school and that he'd been a real problem for me through the years and done some bad things to some of, uh, you know, it's just, you know, not good stuff. But it didn't mean he wasn't a good guy. I prayed for him and approached him as my enemy, um, not because he was not because he was bad, not because he's a villain, but because he had set himself up in in, in that in that vein. But as he was leaving his post, as he was moving on and was communicating with me, he was thanking me for our friendship and what I had brought and the love that I had brought you know into that relationship. And the truth of the matter was, we probably would have still been more at odds if I hadn't identified, here's an enemy that I need to love and pray for. I can remember when that school won their first state tournament. Man, they had done some, some nasty stuff where awards and some other things were concerned. And I did not want to call them and congratulate them. Mm. I mean, here I was, a guy that was you know, sitting on a number of state tournaments and, um, you know, I was reluctant to even congratulate them for one. But um, it was like, man, I would want them through the years. I wish they'd congratulated us. So I will congratulate them. And wouldn't you know it, God was like, that wasn't enough for God. They had to win it again the next year. <laughs> and I had to call and congratulate them again the next year. And it wasn't as tough in year oh. two. I guess, because I got off the hook for year three. And that's kind of the way things work, isn't it? It is. I was going to ask, you know, what softens your heart? And it sounds like being open to what God wants you to do as far as if it's calling someone that has been, an, you know, quote unquote enemy to congratulate them. And how do you keep your heart soft? Well, I, I, I think, you know, probably by realizing that I don't keep it soft. A long time ago, um, I felt like God you know, um, you know, told me several things, some of which I misinterpreted. And of course, one of which I've been, I've been, I've been told, it wasn't God that told you that. Jim Valvano told you that. But one of them was, you're not long for this world. The second one was, hold lightly to things of this world. And the, 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 and the other one was, you know, don't be afraid to cry. 
which, you know, also as Jim Valvano said in his speech, don't be afraid to laugh and cry every day, I think, but don't be afraid to cry. So I've never, I've tried to never be afraid to cry. And you saw that with me as your basketball coach. I was the weepiest basketball coach you'll ever have. And, and just, but for people to know, you were also the loudest. Like, it wasn't like you were this soft <laughs> coach who's just crying because of a bad call. Like, it was people associated you with, like, anger. I mean, it was loudness. And it didn't, it didn't mean you were angry. It was just like you were boisterous and screaming. And so just to make sure that people who didn't experience you from that, that uh, uh, you know, coach um, relationship – yeah, there was that loudness, too, to balance that, that softness. Well you, well, you know, and you're, you're front and center, one of my favorite basketball stories of all time. Buffalo Gap is the, uh, the game at Radford team camp when you got hurt. Yep, Radford um, team camp. And um, they had taken out Jacob Williams, too. And I had let the – I had let – first time I let the referees deal with it. Second time I asked the referees to deal with it. The third time they took out one of our players on a layup. I just announced to the gym that if another day spring player got taken out, I'm coming for you. And I pointed at the Buffalo Gap coach. And of course he looked at me as, you know, I, I was even heavier then than I am now. And he looked at me and, and he, and he was like, you'll never catch me. <laughs> <laughs> and I just looked at him and I yelled, but you will be running. But no other day spring players were taken out. That's one of my favorite stories of all, and of course we went, you know, you had an injured wrist. You couldn't even shoot the next week at VMI. Uh, yes. That's right. Oh gosh. I, you know, what's really fun about that story too. It reminds me that, and I told you this, I think, but uh, you know, Penny, my six year old, she had this assignment to learn sports. And so, so you gave all of us our senior year, this, this great scrapbook. And in the scrapbook has old newspaper clippings and old school photos and, um, uh, and, and one of it was the VMI picture of us standing in front of your old, um, uh, Weave Subaru. Wagon. Yeah, Wagon. That's right. Oh no, no. Okay. The Subaru. Okay. I think it was back then. Um, and I told the girls that story. I said, Ew, we went with just five players and we won the whole thing. And, and I, you know, I didn't go into details, but what I remember about that trip was just basically like, uh, yeah, not being able to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> and just dribble around, right? <laughs> Which is probably good for a point guard. That's what a point guard is supposed to do. Yeah, and um, was it Stonewall Jackson? Was that the team that was tough for us to beat? Yeah. I mean, you know, and, by everyone was tough. By the end, we were just going on fumes, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I was probably just as loud by the end as I was at the beginning, though. But that's a great story of just, you know, not only showing up, but being willing to speak up. And I think that's what I'm really excited about this whole initiative with Become a Provider is to really speak up about what am I, what am I trying to, you know, process real time of being a better dad or a coworker or, um, and at the same time, honoring the fact of like, it's not about me trying, it's just me stepping into the identity that God's given me. Um, mm -hmm. But sometimes we're fearful. And honestly, I just told this to, to Amy. I think it was on Sunday when we were coming up with this idea of just, you know, starting the the blog and being intentional with, with activities like this. I said, I never thought that I was fearful. I mean, I, I've changed careers. I've lived abroad. I've gone back to school. I mean, those are things from the outside looking in. You think like, oh, you know, they're just willing to change things and uh, not be comfortable. Yet I told her, I said, you know what? I realized the area that I was comfortable in and it was, not being willing to be more public with 
like I'm good in small group settings and I'm good in relationships uh, to, to be real and genuine. And, and I can manage a room and I can speak in front of a crowd, no problem. Yet the hard part for me is to be genuine and real and authentic in a large group setting versus putting on a show. And so maybe because of that, I've always shied away from the more public facing venues to have more of those small group, deeper conversations. And, and like you referenced the Bob Goff book, his devotional, like, I feel like every day is basically like, what, what fear are you holding on to that you just need to give over to God and just, you know, if it's talking to someone or doing something or quitting something. And he's so good at that. And honestly, I always kind of discounted that because I thought, well, look at me, I've done like all these things and they've been pretty bold and, you know, but, but the thing I've been fearful of is just really, uh, I think, I think uh, really giving it a shot, meaning really um, trying to, trying to really um, give it a shot, meaning share the truth of my heart of, Hey, this is important. And I feel like, I feel like this is a great opportunity that we're not stepping into the truth of being a provider and how, how scripture helps, helps us in that way. So I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm, I'm trying to process it real time. And that's, that's what's come up in my, my world since. Well, I think Sunday. all of us is like, you know, you think about it like in high school, you played basketball. So <clears throat> nothing in the basketball realm really scares you. Um, you could be very self-conscious in other situations, other sports, you know, where you weren't as comfortable, where you hadn't put in the work, where you weren't as accomplished. And <clears throat> was it Oswald Chambers says, you know, in sort of the same vein, he says, we're all very adept at choosing the scene of our own martyrdom. Hmm. And we choose the scenes in which we excel. You know, we, okay. there, there are places where we're willing to be spent, where we're willing to put it all on the line. And then there are places where, you know, we pull it in. So I, I, I think identifying, you know, hey, I need to be more this way. I mean, with me, I'm, I'm so comfortable with the kids at school. I'm much more comfortable with the kids at school than I am with their parents in a board meeting. I, I mean, I, I, I just am. I mean, I, I know my purpose. You know, I'm, I know I should be discipling those kids. Well, I know I should be discipling those adults in the board meeting too. I just am not quite as quick to do it. Uh, that that quote from Oswald Chambers I've never heard before, but what a great way of putting it! Like areas in our life that we pour ourselves out completely, and then those that we pack it in, essentially um, choosing that area of like our own martyrdom is a very Oswald Chamber quote, isn't it? Um, yeah. And thanks, thanks for putting it more in layman's terms for me with it. But yeah, if we could, I think that's what Bob Goff is trying to say too, right? Like yeah. just live crazy in love you know in all scenarios and situations and don't be one person and another person and like you're you're a great provider disciple or leader for the kids and then how can you do that for the parents and that i mean that sounds harder even just hearing it from you yeah and and some of that is i'm i'm much more accessible to receive from the kids than i am from the parents too it's the same you know it's it's, it's the same it's the same equation well, and that's what I wanted to ask you and to touch on the subject too about to give you an opportunity to, to share as much as you want to. Who has provided for you? Um, you, you know, you mentioned the, the, you know, us guys as well, but is there any other, um, any other moment that when you just think of being provided for that really stands out to you? Well, yeah, there's, <clears throat> there's a number of people. Um, I mean, uh, obviously in, in my life, you know, Jesus Christ is the greatest dispensation of grace in my life. And um, my wife, Joanna, would be the second greatest. So when it comes to, you know, just providing grace in my life, 
Jesus and Joanna. And then I go back to my mom, to whom I lost, you know, way sooner than I wanted to. But, um, you know, her, her life and her death were huge providers for me. In fact, I don't know that I really would have walked through life as a disciple of Jesus Christ without her death. Um, a lot of times I think it took both Jesus dying and my mom dying to get me where God needed to get me. Um, <clears throat> I think only he really knows the answer to that. But, um, but I've wondered about that. So when I think about, <clears throat> so our mom was a great provider. There's a guy named David Bowles, who um, was a high school friend of mine, middle school, well, junior high and high school friend of mine. Uh, we, um, we played guitars together. Um, in fact, I drew him in in 10th grade. We were in a discipleship class at the church that we went to. And um, I was in it because my mom was, you know, we went to church and it was just what I was supposed to do. And then I found out we had to do a project. So for my project, I thought, well, I'll, you know, it was, it was, the study was on the, the gospel of Mark. So I, I said, I'll write a, a song about, you know, the, uh, a song and basically base it on the gospel of Mark and called it Life of Love and, and wrote it. And, um, and that would be my project for the discipleship course. Well, then once I wrote it, then they wanted me to play it for the church. And we went to a pretty big church. Well, I, I didn't mind playing it. I didn't really want to sing it. So I conned David Bowles into his project being performing the vocal version of the song. So he sang it. I played it. Um, and, uh, and I played it on an Alvarez 12 string tuned to an open E, which I know you have no idea what I'm talking about, but it meant when I hit the strings without pressing down any strings, it rang a, a big E chord. And that was the last chord on the song. And so I'm getting there, the, you know, the big finish for the song. And um, I, I had just gotten this 12 string guitar and it didn't have a strap button on it, which meant the strap would, you know, stretched all the way out to the peg head. So it didn't sit on your shoulder quite as well. And I'm wearing a suit and tie playing this thing. And it's slipping while I'm playing, while I'm standing up playing it, you know, and it's causing kind of a problem. And as I do the big thing at the end, the strap comes all the way off my shoulder. Well, luckily, I didn't have to finger anything with my left hand. I just had to hit the strings with my right hand. So I just grabbed the head of the guitar to keep it from busting on the ground, slammed the strings like that. Everybody thought I was pulling an Elvis. The place erupts, standing ovation. And what happens, David... You know, David gets the bug, the music bug. He wants me, he wants to learn how to play guitar. He wants to write songs. And um, he's like, and then we'll go out, we'll play, you know, we'll, you know, we'll do coffee houses, we'll do Young Life, we'll do all this stuff. And um, so I, I taught David how to play guitar, but music for him became a great worshipful expression. And I, for me, it was like, you know, I couldn't wait to play the clubs and do that kind of stuff. But for David, it was always, Jesus, where it had started. David got married right after college. David had a couple daughters, but David didn't make it to your age. David died of brain cancer right around 30. I'm at his funeral and they're talking about David and they're talking about David's music. And I'm feeling kind of like, man, you know, he's gone and he's done more than I'll ever dream about doing when the pastor actually said, whoever taught David Bowles to play guitar did more for the kingdom of God than most of us will ever imagine doing. Wow. 
how'd that make you feel? That made me get teary eyed. It, it <laughs> shook me to my very core. It reminded me of the last couple of times David reached out to me and it made me really serious about discipleship. It made me serious. It, 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 it crystallized, you know, Hey, yeah, I need to be, I need to redouble my efforts in, in terms of um, being who God would have me be. I need to be more yielded. So David was a great provider for me. If I could um, just um, reflect on, you know, what's interesting is that a lot of these stories come from deaths. You know, yeah. I mean, you mentioned your, your mom passing away and, and, you know, you don't think you'd be serving Jesus unless her death. Um, and then your friend, David, and your father recently, and, you know, I reflect on Pop's passing and, it's amazing what a gift that can be in a real way, not, not trying to put a silver lining on it just to be an optimistic glass half full type of person. But I mean, it's just real. Like it's, it just allows you to face reality. And is that an interesting trend here? Yeah. And, um, and then of course the, you know, probably the, the best friend I've had as an adult, as you know, 18 months ago, he died. Aaron Craig. Again, he wasn't someone who mentored me, but he was a great provider of God's grace in my life. It's not that, that Aaron ever had, you know, the big thing to say, but he was present for me for so many years in so, so many huge ways. And you know exactly what I'm talking about because you had that kind of relationship with him too. And it's going back to that thing of being present and doing it in the right way. And you're right. He, he didn't need to say much, but he was always there. And I mean, officially as an assistant coach, uh, but just more of a, as a friend and someone that you could just joke with and be with and be real with. And I mean, those are what gifts that is. And you're right. It's, that is, that is a way of providing. And you know, the April zoom that we did together, I don't know if you remember, you know, how I put that together. It was men who had impacted my life. And, you know, in huge ways. And obviously, you know, um, David and Aaron and Mark Bryant were three of these guys that, that had passed before we did the Zoom in April. Um, but we still had like 11 guys on that night. And there were some guys that couldn't make it. Um, when I tell you, I'm just spoiled. Um, have that many men that have impacted my life, that many friendships that have brought God's provision of grace directly into my life. And again, it doesn't count my wife. It doesn't count my mom. And I, I kind of relate to when, when Paul was writing the epistles, a, a, a phrase that he used that so many people just kind of, for lack of a better word, poo-poo. You know, the man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament called himself chief of all sinners. But I think I understand kind of why he felt that way because I, I talked to so many people that have only had one or two people really impact their life. I've had two dozen, probably because I needed them. Why did Paul feel that way? Well, he needed Jesus to actually show up personally on the road to Damascus to get his life headed in the right trajectory. I don't think he ever forgot that. I think he would be unbelievably amazed at Justin Thomas, who didn't even know anybody who knew Jesus and still follows him and believes in who he is. He would say that your faith dwarfs his because he was there. He was there in that time. He knew the Peters and the Johns and he heard the stories 
And then Jesus showed up on the road himself. He was amazed every time somebody turned to Jesus based on the foolishness that he preached. He even referred to it like that. Uh, there's two things I definitely want to ask you about, and that's um, how do you keep in touch with the two dozen or, you know, who, as you reflect on the grace that you've been given with the, the people in your life that provide to you, how do you keep in touch with them? And then, you know, what would you say to those people, as you mentioned, that say, I've just got like one people or one person that I'd say has poured into my life. How can they get more of that? So I'll let you start with, you know, wherever you want to take that. Okay. Well, again, I think, uh, how do you get more people like that? I, I mean, I, again, I think you become present in your moments and, um, you take whatever little you've got or whatever, or whatever big you've got <clears throat> and you put it out there into relationships and you don't worry about keeping score in your mind. Sometimes you will, but it's so unhealthy to pick up and call up a name and say, well, you know, in my relationship with Exhibit A, I've sent the last nine texts. You don't worry about that. You put out there what you've got to put out there. Um, I try to make sure that I overreach and over-communicate with people a little bit. You see, you know, you got a text from me this morning. Well, so did about 30 people. Got that, that you know, the same, <clears throat> a variation of the same message. Because it was, you know, it was a big morning for me. And it was something I wanted to share and I wanted to put out there. The way you stay in touch is you stay in touch. And you forgive yourself when it's been a month or six weeks or two months since you reached out or since you prayed for someone. And when they come to mind, they come to heart, you pray for them and you reach out to them. I would say, if you, probably if you're doing what God would have you do, you're probably putting out there probably nine or 10 times as much stuff as you're getting back. But when you need to get something back, it's always there. It's always there. And you know what I'm talking about because, you know, what's one of the ways you have stayed in touch with a group of people that mean a lot to you since middle school. And it's a fantasy football league. And you put more into that fantasy football league than everybody else combined. I mean, you do, right? Yeah, I thought about actually uh, having the trophy up. <laughs> the, 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 yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's been an example of just being consistent and ha getting together and doing a draft every year and keeping in touch. And there have been some years it's been hard to get the guys back together. And, uh, but you know what? It's a special bond now. Yeah. And it's got, especially when it's, when it's half together and half virtual, it's frustrating for you. You'd like to have everybody there in one room, but you don't keep score about that. And when you show up, you are a hundred percent present for the guys that are there virtually and the guys that are there physically. It's one of the places where you serve all those guys. And I know I speak for Aaron when I say, providing us that trophy perpetually year after year. It's so appreciated. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. One of the things I need to do is to actually get your name engraved on that trophy multiple years for all the, all the championships you've won here. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's interesting as you answer that question. You really, like, that's, that's the answer for both. It's being fully present and giving of yourself. That's both going to attract more people into your life to have those providers as well as to keep in touch with the existing providers and not to keep score 
and just I like that was really powerful for me to hear you say like just be in the mindset of giving nine to ten times more and that way your expectation is a little bit different where it's not as if you're saying oh man I'm going to send this guy a text and say I'm praying for him and expect him just just to like weep and bawl and just see it like it's he's going to love it and it's going to change our relationship forever you may not get a response and and just if you're in that mindset of like it doesn't matter I'm not keeping score that's probably a healthy way of going about it yeah I mean I know one of the things that I think as, as we go through life and as we experience loss, we understand that, um, that God is the ultimate provider. You know, that's, that, that, that's it. I had to learn when, when I lost Aaron, December 2018, I had to learn that some of the things that I would turn to Aaron about were things that I should have been turning to God first about. Some things I should have been celebrating or thanking God for before I was sharing them with Aaron. There's nothing wrong with sharing them with Aaron. You got friends, something funny happens or something cool happens. You, you know, you, you, you want to share it. And that's great. There's nothing bad with that. But how, how much good stuff comes down and, and you know, we, we just don't even involve God. And how many of his blessings, that's another thing I, I really believe about God's blessings and God's grace, is if you hoard it, it rots. Thank you for listening to this episode. Before you take off, I wanted to ask if you would enjoy getting a short email from me every Wednesday called A Kind Word. It provides a little positivity to help you get over hump day. It's free and shares highlights of things that have brought me joy over the past week. If you want to start getting a kind word from me, simply sign up at justinthomascoaching.com by entering your email address and you'll get the next one. That's justinthomascoaching.com. Thanks again for listening. Bless and protect. Bless and protect.